chapter one, and today we're going to be uh, we're going to be looking at the familiar account of the angel Gabriel's announcement to Mary that she was going to be Jesus's mom. In doing so, I want us to think about the virgin birth for a little bit. The virgin birth. When you think about it, those two words, don't really go together. Of course, we're we're pretty familiar with that idea of virgin birth, but but I think we're we're so familiar with the idea that we've we kind of overlook the amazingness of the virgin birth. So I want us to look at, at what the Bible says here, and I want us to see what is so special about the virgin birth. So why don't you stand with me, if you would. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 26. We're going to read just a few verses. Now in the sixth month, now I just want to stop right there. Let's back up to verse 25. This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Sorry, it should have been verse 24 that we started in. Basically, hold on, I'm just going to start over. Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, was barren. She was older, she, she couldn't have kids, and God told her that she was going to give birth to John the Baptist. Okay, And so, six months into the pregnancy, then Gabriel comes to Mary. That's where I, the way I probably should have introduced this, uh, this verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, so it's not talking about June, it's talking about the sixth month of her pregnancy. Now, in the sixth month, of, uh, now in the, sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. For behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now the first thing that I noticed in this text is the humility of the virgin birth. The humility of the virgin birth. And, and really the humility of the virgin birth, it, it almost leaps off the page at me. And first I want you to notice the humility of the place where Jesus was going to be raised. If you notice verse 26 and 27, it talks about Nazareth of Galilee. Nazareth of Galilee. Now that doesn't mean a whole lot to us because we're not real familiar with the area. We're not familiar with the time. But back in Jesus' day, the Holy Land was broken up into three sections. The southernmost part was Judea, and then above that was Samaria, and then the top part was Galilee. Galilee is where Jesus spent most of his time, and it was a great big region, basically about a third of the size of the Holy Land. Now it was uh, a mainly agricultural area. They, they did mostly farming, raised raise some animals and stuff like that. But they were looked down upon by the southern Jews. And we can identify even here in, in Missouri, can't we? If, 
if you talk to somebody from from the north, they hear you talk, they're like, oh, you must be a hillbilly or something like that. And and the southern states in America, the southern states are the ones that are kind of looked down upon because of the way they talk and and maybe the the type of, of lifestyle that we live. But in Jesus' day, it was the opposite. The southern Jews looked down upon the Galileans who were in the north. And part of it was because of the way they talked, because of their dialect. And, and actually, the, the Bible does allude to this. And uh, you remember when Jesus was arrested, he was taken before the, the high priest? And Peter follows, and he's in the, he's in the court, and he's warming himself, himself by the fire. You remember that? And they say, hey, you're one of his followers. And he, he says, no, I'm not. He denies knowing him. And, and that happens a couple of times. And the last time, they say, we know that you're one of his followers because you're a Galilee and we can tell by the way you're talking. See, he, he must have, they had some kind of a, an accent or something like that. Their dialect gave them away. And so that was one reason they were looked down upon. Also, being more of an agricultural area, they were less cultivated. They, and that's kind of a pun, I guess, and I didn't mean it. But they, they, were, they were not as highfalutin as some of their, their cosmopolitan, their, their more commercialized counterparts to the south. And so they were looked down upon because they were to the north, especially the northern part of Galilee, they had a lot of contact with Gentiles, unclean people, people that were not Jews. And so the southern Jews, the people in Jerusalem and that area, they looked down upon the place where Jesus was born. Now that's the whole region of Galilee. It was looked down upon. It was a humble place. But in the midst of that, Nazareth was a town, and it was looked down upon even more. Now we don't know exactly what it was that had happened in Nazareth that gave him a bad name, but you remember in John's Gospel, Philip came to Nathaniel, and he said, Nathaniel, we found the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. You remember what Nathaniel said? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Naz and, and, and Nathaniel was a Galilean. So even the Galileans looked down upon the people of Nazareth. Jesus was born in a humble place. But he also had humble parents. We know who Mary and Joseph are. But before this, I mean, if... if if he had not been born to them, we wouldn't have any idea. And if you were, if you would have gone to the man on the street, maybe even in Nazareth, and said, "Hey, did you hear what happened to Mary?" They'd say, "Mary who? You hear what happened to Joe? Joe who?" They were not rich. They were not famous. They were not celebrities of any kind. And even after, even after uh, Jesus was born. They were not rich. They were not wealthy. They didn't have a big change in lifestyle. In fact, they were quite poor. And we know this, and, and you can turn over there if you want, but in Luke chapter 2, um, they, are, they, they take Jesus to the temple. In verse, 20, uh, verse 23, they take him to the temple. And, and part of the law in, in, in the book of Leviticus, it says, after a, late, after a woman gives birth to a child, she has to do these, these sacrifices and stuff like that. And the law prescribes a lamb or a goat to be taken. But look at verse 22. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. They might be saying to yourself, Now, Pastor, you just said it was a lamb or a goat if you had the means for it. If you didn't have the means for it, you had you had a pair of turtle doves, a pair of pigeons. 
That's what you would take for your offering. And so what I'm saying is Jesus had some humble parents. They, they, were, they were just like anybody else across the globe even today. If you were to say, hey, do you hear about you know, uh, Sam Smith? We'd say, Sam Smith who? We don't know these people. That's the way they were. They didn't have name recognition. They did not have money. They were not aristocrats. They were not wealthy jet setters. They were humble people. Born, they, they were nobodies that lived in a, nowhere, in a nowhere town. And that's where Jesus was born. That's where he was raised. There's humility in his earthly start. But we don't just see it in his earthly start. We also see it in the incarnation itself. The in incarnation, of course, that's when, when God himself came to earth in human flesh. That's Jesus. And think about the humiliation that Christ experienced just becoming a man. Think about that. The creator was going to be cared for by the creature. The omnipotent God who... who the, the, the Bible says that the highest heavens are too small to contain Him in His glory. He's a vast, powerful, omniscient, fantastic, wonderful God. The highest heavens could not contain Him, and yet He, re he re restricted Himself to the womb of a poor country girl. The God that was so powerful that He spoke in this earth and all the starry hosts came into existence took on the frailties of humanity so that he hungered, he thirsted, he got tired. The Bible says that God came into the world, the world that he created, and the world received him not. There was humiliation, there was humbleness in the incarnation. The virgin birth was a humble affair, but also I want you to see the sanctity of the, of the virgin birth. The sanctity, the holiness of it. Jesus was a holy child. And, and I want you to notice in verses 31 and 35, almost everything that, uh, that, that Gabriel says about him points to his holiness. It points to him being God. First, look at the name, verse 31. You shall, you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. We sang that song earlier. There's just something about that name. The name Jesus. Back then it was a common name. Today we don't hear too many Jesuses walking around. But back then it was a common name because it was the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. Just like we have Joshua's today, that was what they did. They named their kids Joshua. Joshua means the salvation of Yahweh or Jehovah. Or God saves. Jehovah saves. Through Christ alone, salvation was going to come. Isn't that what the angel said to uh, to him in, in Matthew's Gospel, said, You shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He was, to, he was to be the Savior of the world. He has a name that's above every name. You remember Paul says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see him being a holy child in his name. Verses 32 and 33, look at what they say. It says, He will be great and be, will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. He's the son of the Most High. Jesus, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. You remember what happened in, I think it's John's Gospel. He made a claim. He called God his father, and the Jews took up stones because they wanted to stone him because they said he's made himself out to be equal with God because he was equal with God. 
He would, he, he'll reign forever. How do you reign forever? Well, you can't die, right? That's the first thing. You can't die. This speaking of the eternality of God. David understood this in the in the Davidic covenant. I don't know. It's been many many weeks that we looked at uh, back that we looked at this, but God gave a uh, made a covenant with David, and He said that uh, I will I will make it make it so that you'll have a man on the throne forever. Your kingdom, the, 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 this kingdom, is never going to end. And David understood at some level. This is talking about the Messiah, Jesus is the only one that can fulfill that because He's the only one that can never die. Jesus is God incarnate. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then it goes on to say, And the Word became flesh, was made flesh, and dwelt among us. See, Jesus didn't start in Bethlehem. He is the eternal God. I read a, um, a devotion this week, and I love the title. It said, How old was Jesus when He was born? Think about that. How old was Jesus when he was born? And the conclusion of the author was that Jesus was older than his mother and the same age as his father. And I, I just I just love that. Jesus, how old was he when he was born? He was, he was older than his mom and just the same age as his father. And I love that. He, he, there, there's never been a time when Jesus was not because Jesus is God. We see the humility of the virgin birth. We see the sanctity of the virgin birth. And finally, I want you to see the human impossibility of the virgin birth. The human impossibility. Look at verses, verse 34. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? And that's, that's the question right there. How can this be since I am a virgin? There are a lot of people today who doubt the virgin birth. They doubt it. They, they, they disbelieve it both inside and outside the church. And it's not. it shouldn't really surprise us that people outside the church don't believe the virgin birth. But it should surprise us, and it's a sad thing when people inside the church disbelieve it. Because it's plainly taught in Scripture. The virgin birth is plainly taught. Now, why do people doubt the virgin birth? Well, mainly because it's humanly impossible. That's That was Mary's hang-up. Uh, J. Vern McGee pointed out she's the first one that ever questioned the virgin birth. She said, how's this going to happen? Because I've never known a man in that way. I mean, even, even if kids don't know the birds and the bees, they know that it takes a mom and a dad in some way to make a kid. And yet here's this young lady who's never been with a man who's going to have a child. That's what's called a miracle. That's when God intervenes in nature and overrides the natural course of things to do His will. He performed a miracle. So how did this happen? God did it. God did it. Non-believers oftentimes, they look down on Christians because they say, oh, you people, every time you can't explain something, you just say, well, God must have done it. You're like the, the, the ancient peoples who are superstitious and everything they couldn't explain, well, God must have done it. But you know what? God did do this. There's no way to get around it because it, it can't happen apart from God. The old country preacher, uh, B.R. Lakin, he was, he was a fiery guy, and he used to tell this story. He said, my niece came home from college one day and said to me, my professor said that Jesus couldn't have been born of a human mother without a human father. That was a biological impossibility. I said, let me tell you what to do. 
You tell that little possum-headed professor that your uncle said, the first man ever, that ever got, got in this world got here without either father or mother. If God wanted to send his son born of a human mother, without a human father, he could and did do it. I think that's pretty well said. The first man, Adam, he didn't have father or mother. And if, if God wanted to send the second Adam, Jesus, into the world without a, a human father, he could and did do it. Now remember, Luke is a doctor. He understands anatomy. He understands that the stork doesn't bring a baby. And he emphasizes this over and over and over again. He doesn't, he doesn't skim over this. He emphasizes the fact that she was a virgin. He records it. Why? Because it's true. How is it possible? Verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. All things are possible with God. Folks, the virgin birth is true. I was watching... You know, having a DVR, I don't know if anybody has one of those, but having a DVR is pretty pretty nice because you can record programs real easily and stuff like that. But sometimes it lets it, it raises my blood pressure. Not because it's technology, but because I see these programs and I'm not able to watch them, but I think, oh, well, they're talking about the virgin birth on the History Channel. This Discovery Channel, they're going to be talking about Jesus' birth. I'm going to record this and see what they have to say. And then I go back and I watch it, and then I can rewind it to hear what they said again. And boy, sometimes my blood pressure just, whoo! And, and if you pay attention, every Easter and every Christmas, they'll have programs on that talk about, yeah, Jesus may or may not have been real. If he was, he probably was. It didn't happen like the Bible said. But guess what? It did. I think that somebody who talked to Mary probably has a better idea of what happened to Mary than somebody 2,000 years later. Don't you? It's like these guys I, I watched on the History Channel. They, they say, well, because of these fragments of pottery that we have at this have around this old campfire, we know that there were this many people eating, and they were attacked by this, and, and, they, and they string about this huge story, and yet they can't figure out how many people shot JFK. Half 50 years ago, they've got video of it. You can't tell me that people today have a better idea of what happened back then than them. They were there. They saw it. They experienced it. The virgin birth is true. It's miraculous. It's beyond our experience. It's beyond our comprehension. But you know what? If all that God did was stuff that I could understand, He wouldn't be much of a God because I'm not very smart. When Christ was born, the Virgin Mary, He condescended to step out of the thrills, the glories, the praise of heaven into a humble place. Born of humble people, place. He experienced humiliation. He dwelt among men. He was God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Why did he do it? Because he loved us. He loved you and he loved me. Jesus came to earth to die, to give his life a ransom for many. He was born in order that he might die to secure salvation for and that's really the, the, the Christmas story. We say, well, that's the, that's the Easter story. Jesus, up from the grave, he arose. Yeah. But first, he came down out of heaven and was laid in a manger. And that's the whole point of Christmas. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if you've never done that, you need to do it today. And maybe you're, maybe you're a believer, and maybe you're kind of like, well... I don't know, that's a pretty...
guys on TV and they've got all these degrees and so many letters after their name, they say it didn't happen. Well, guess what? They can be educated fools. The Bible is true.